You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hola, hola, bienvenidos, mis amigos. Welcome back to the One Small Buy podcast. I'm your host, David Orozco, and this is episode 92. And I have a special show for you today. I have brought along uh, my registered dietitian clinician and employee, Reagan Perkins. He's also the one you've heard me talk about as our content creator editor for this podcast. She helps out with our show notes and getting all of this out to all of our clients and people that listen to the show. So I wanted to bring her on today to talk about shop, talk about what we do in our practice and what it means about our approach. We are, as I mentioned, a weight-inclusive, anti-diet, compassion-driven, focused approach or uh, practice that helps our clients build a positive relationship to food, making peace with their body, and reconnecting their lives back to the, their, their values. So I asked Reagan to join me in this podcast because one of the things that we want to do is discuss various disease conditions, illnesses of clients that we see, some of the things that we specialize. We focus in mainly in helping people avoid chronic dieting to uh, help women get their periods back and uh, avoid PCOS or the problems with PCOS. We help people with digestive issues, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases like high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And so we do this in a way that incorporates intuitive eating, that incorporates health at every size, and gets away from weight and diet culture, weight stigma, and the social injustice that a lot of that society, a lot of that culture brings into our lives. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how we do this. So we're we're going to talk about just those things. We're going to talk about high blood pressure. We're going to talk about diabetes. We're going to talk about cholesterol, IBS or gut health. We're going to talk about PCOS. And we're going to talk about how we do some of these things. The fun part is, is that we're doing this as an introduction episode. And then we're actually going to take each one of those different illnesses and do an actual entire episode on each one of them. So this is a good introduction to each one of those illnesses, how we work with clients and what we do, and just to give you an introduction. So it doesn't go into a deep dive, but it does give us a give you a good understanding of how we work with clients and what we do. And with that said, I just want to throw in a little apology here. As many of you might already have heard in previous episodes, me hinting at the fact that we are rebranding 
our website. We are rebranding the name TD Wellness. TD Wellness goes back 15 years ago when I first started the business, and it really doesn't reflect what I do. Uh, the website itself is about eight years old, and there's still a lot of diet information on there. You, I do need to ask for your forgiveness because I've just been, quite honestly, it's hard to change the website. It's expensive. It's hard to rebrand. So I wanted to do this right, and uh, I do want to send out an apology if you're confused with the messages that are in there. But you can still go there, get some contact information from us, and maybe even drop us a review here on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. All right, but for right now, hey, let's get started with the show. All right, folks, here I am with my favorite person, Reagan Perkins. <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> Reagan Perkins is a registered dietitian nutritionist like myself, and she is a member of the TD Wellness team. And of course, as you guys heard me in a previous podcast episode, we're changing that name soon. So, so Reagan, say hello. Hi, everyone. Uh, like David said, I'm Reagan. Um, I'm a dietitian, and um, I've been with the TD Wellness team for a few months now. Feel yeah. like I've gotten my feet settled. Um, I'm really excited to continue the work that we do. Awesome. Hey, Reagan, tell them a little bit about you. How did you get into dietetics and maybe a little bit about your past? Um. Yeah, so a lot of things kind of led me towards the path of being in dietetics. Um, first off, I've always found the human body very interesting. I used to think that I wanted to be a trauma nurse when I was like 10 or 11. Um, and then shortly after being 10 and 11, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Um, I grew up eating all the things. I still eat all the things, but um, my diagnosis of type one diabetes really brought my awareness to food and how food um, interacts with the human body. And that drove my interest in where I'm at now, really. And I worked with a, at the time called a certified diabetes educator, um, and she made a huge impact on my life. Um, she's someone I still remember to this day. And I actually even use some of the tips and tricks that she taught me with clients that I work with now. Um, but when I got into college, I was still going down the nursing route and I loved it, but I was missing the food component. Mm. Um, and when I found out about registered dietitians, I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. I changed my degree field, um, and took some time and became a dietitian. Uh, I graduated. I took a few years off cause I did not match <laughs> the first time around. Mm -hmm. And then I got a great internship, which actually led me to you, David. Um, that's right. and that's how this whole thing kind of happened. <laughs> awesome. And so one of the things that we wanted to do today in the show is actually talk about diseases and what it is that we try to do with the work that we do with clients. What is it that people come to see us for and how is our approach merged into the disease state or the problem or complication or concern that clients will have? 
So let me let me just go ahead and get started. How's that sound, Regan? Yeah, that's great. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So the first one I'm going to talk about is what we are talking, what your experience is, Reagan, and that is diabetes. And um, we're going to talk about diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or what's also known as cardiovascular illnesses, gut health, which is gastrointestinal health, um, eating disorders, PCOS, and we might throw in one or two here and there if we have time. But what we're what I'm going to do before I go into those disease states is talk a little bit about our approach. You hear it in my intro. You hear it in my um, approach with clients and the guests that I have on. We come from an anti-diet, intuitive eating, weight-inclusive, health at every size uh, background. And what we're saying by all of that is that we move away from the conventional wisdom of diets. And we know that diets are fraught with many complications. One of the problems is definitely the psychological residual effect that you have from diets. The weight stigma is also another problem that happens. And what we find is that if we use what we've been trained in, which is taking that weight-centric or diet approach, is that we have to unfortunately, or not we have to, but we unfortunately cause more harm sometimes than good because we create this should, shouldn't, categorical do, don'ts, and people just don't eat that way. Um, people don't eat just a plate of fresh fruit and vegetables with every single meal that we're, that you eat. Heck, I don't know about you, Reagan, but I don't eat fresh fruits and vegetables with every single meal that I have. Do you? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I try, I try, I try to eat a good amount of, of fruit and vegetables. And I think that's because we're trained in it. But mm -hmm. um, I mean, w the vast majority of our clients are trying as well. Um, but that's not, that's not what we're trying to do. And so um, that's what we mean with this approach, intuitive eating, health at every size, weight inclusive, anti-diet. You want to add anything to that, Reagan? Yeah. I mean, just, I guess, uh, a suggestion I make to a lot of my clients when they're telling me about like, I failed today or yesterday, or that day was a bad food day. Um, I remind them that the mind sees the mind has been taught time right? 60, 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day. The body though, biochemically, it does not work that way. The body works on averages. So if you're consuming fruits and vegetables on a weekly, a monthly basis, it turns into averages. And that's what the body runs off of. If you're eating more one day or less, and that really kind of sinks in and they recognize that time is taught to us. It's not ingrained in our bodies. I like that a lot. I think that that's brilliant right there um, because that goes to that one small bite concept in, in, in this podcast. It is what you can do over time, not what can you do every time, which is important. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, let's talk then a little bit more in the weeds about each one of these disease states or conditions or problems or concerns and talk a little bit about how we kind of maneuver with moving maneuver around these issues with clients without having to use diets or if we have to use diets maybe doing something that is 
um, diet minus, <laughs> if I can use a term. I don't know. I just made that up. That sounds good. I'll go with it. Uh, but let's start with diabetes because, uh, again, like I said a little while ago, that one is probably one of the biggest problems and complications that we see quite often with a lot of clients. Reagan, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot to talk to me through how we use intuitive eating and weight inclusive anti-diet approaches with people with diabetes. And then, of course, if you want to talk a little bit about the different types of diabetes too. Yeah. So I think what I'll start with is um, the different types of diabetes, because I think that is an an important component. Um, So there are several types. There are primarily known are type one and type two. Some other categories would be gestational diabetes and then um, pre-diabetes. So it is a slight elevation in A1C without it being a diagnosis of diabetes. Um, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune um, created disease. Um, the immune system uh, will attack part of the pancreas that produces insulin um, until insulin production has stopped. Uh, and then it's known as type one because the rest of your life, you are dependent upon insulin injections. Right. Exogenous insulin, not human. Man-made insulin, more or less. Right. Um, right. And not insulin that's naturally produced by the body. Most people don't realize insulin is actually a hormone um, that's produced by your body in response to eating. Right. So it's something everyone already has and something everyone needs to digest the food that they have so it can be used in the body. Um, Type two, there is multiple potential ways that type two is caused either by insulin resistance, meaning when insulin is not working as well in the body, although it is being produced in enough amounts or insulin is not being produced enough um, for the body to maintain, um, a preferred blood sugar range. Um, and then pre-diabetes is like kind of along the same line as type two diabetes. It's just like earlier stages of it so that it's doesn't meet the technical requirements for diabetes. Gestational diabetes is, um, similar to type two, but it only occurs during the later half of pregnancy. And it does increase the potential for that woman to have type two diabetes later on. And so we have these different forms of diabetes, pre-diabetes, gestational diabetes, type two diabetes, type one diabetes, the conventional approach to working with people in general, I don't want to go into the weeds of the specifics of each diabetes. Let's just go with type 2 diabetes for right now. But in general, the approach that we are all trained in by all, we, meaning the healthcare professions, are trained into helping clients is how? Okay, so the main um, approach that we're taught in the medical field is primarily based in weight loss and restricting food, primarily carbohydrates. Okay. And why is that a problem? Um, well, weight doesn't like gaining weight doesn't equal diabetes. 
Um, there has been some stuff coming out that actually is wondering if weight gain may be a precursor of diabetes, not the cause of diabetes. Mm-hmm. And that I think is really in- interesting associated with like insulin resistance, definitely stuff we can get more into, um, you know, when we have a topic just about this, but in overall, it's just, it's not beneficial to put weight stigma on clients. Um, and when you do that, it tends to make them think that this is my fault. And then that just kind of harms the overall process of them dealing with their diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. Yeah, and it's so interesting, especially when you talk about pre-diabetes. Pre-diabetes is something that we are taught also that can be reversed, unlike type 2 diabetes or diabetes, where you can get to a place where the body starts regulating its blood sugars better at that point. And when you put the blame on someone, it creates a situation where there's greater stress, even though they try to do things that improve their health on the onset. So for example, you restrict food and like carbohydrates and they lose weight and they people tend to improve their blood sugars, but we don't really know that it's the weight. In fact, a lot of research is starting to show that it's not. And it's more of a calorie and food restriction than anything else. I mean, if you have less sugar to manage, then the body's not going to produce as much insulin or have sugar to manage. And so therefore, I think it's, you know, calling the wrong problem out. And then the person starts losing faith in the system a lot. It's like, well, doctors tell me to lose weight and I just don't know what else to do. Yep. I mean, that's exactly what I see happening. Saying weight lo- weight loss is an easy, quick fix. I did, I did uh, air quotes. I know no one can see me, but um, <laughs> I saw you. <laughs> I know. Um, I think that's important. We keep wanting to go for quick and easy. The human body is not quick and easy. Yeah. Look at how yeah. long it takes us to fully develop. Right. Right. No kidding. (sighs) All right. So hypertension would be the next one. Uh, Hypertension is a problem where the body is increasing the pressure that the heart has to pump blood. And there is a systolic. That's where the heart is pumping the blood out or at work. And there's the diastolic, and this is where the, the heart is receiving the blood, generally speaking, and it's at rest, generally speaking. So that's sort of the difference between the systolic rate and the diastolic rate. That's why you see the top number, the systolic number at a higher amount as the liquid per- pushes out. And that's where we get that 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 systolic the same thing with the diastolic right it's the amount of pressure that's there and that's what we're reading is that uh level of mercury and so essentially the heart is a muscle and that muscle is being generated uh electric signals by the brain and so therefore the heart is pumping 
involuntarily. It just does it on its own. It pumps approximately five liters of blood a day. But what ends up happening over time is that the pressure starts increasing and high blood pressure or hypertension, as it's called, can either be high one or high both. So either the systolic or the diastolic could be high, and that's what's considered high blood pressure, as well as both could be high. So technically speaking, there is a uh, pre-hypertension, hypertension stage one, stage two, and stage three now. I think that, that those are the new approaches that we have or understanding nomenclature that we have for high blood pressure. So what's the problem with the diet approach and weight-centric approach to high blood pressure? I would say one of the biggest problems is um, the lack of um, associating stress and the body's response to stress. Um and how that correlates with higher blood pressures, especially the long periods of stress o- over time. Um, as you and I know, we understand the effects that this, the body's stress response has on all parts, um, skin integrity, um, cardiovascular effects, the effects that it has on our liver and our kidneys, um, the brain to an extent, as well as how it even affects the GI system. So if you think about the fact that someone is stressed out on a regular basis, um, day in and day out, like how can that not have long-term effects? And to me, the weight centric and diet approach to, um, managing hypertension really just steps around stress as if it doesn't exist. Yeah. You're talking about the DASH diet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which stands for, it's an acronym, which stands for dietary approaches to stop hypertension. And what's the main focus that we, we, we look at or that they recommend that we restrict in the DASH diet? Sodium. Primarily. Sodium. So yeah. with diabetes, we restrict sugar and carbohydrates. With hypertension, we restrict sodium. Can you imagine someone that has diabetes and high blood pressure, which is extremely common? It's very common. They're um, very closely related. Yeah. Because um, they affect the entire body. Uh, yeah, you know, right. Glu- I mean, think about you it. and I know glucose is used throughout our entire body to produce energy. Right. Um, sodium is used through our entire body to um, regulate right. our hydration. Right. And regulate uh, electric static and um, connectivity and connection from cell to cell. And it's used for a lot of metabolic functions as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So think about someone that's had a diagnosis of prediabetes and then is suggesting they may need to be on blood pressure medication soon. And all they're thinking in their head, why they hear this from the doctor is, oh, my God, I'm killing myself. Right. I'm fat. I need to lose weight. And then there's no guidance. So then they have to fall into all of these diets that are out there that are not proven, really, Mm -hmm. even though people will say scientifically proven like DASH and Mediterranean diet and the carbohydrate counting method. You know, these are, quote unquote, scientifically proven to help people with these conditions 
The problem is, is that when you look at all of that research, it doesn't go out beyond two years. Exactly. Yeah. You've covered that in some of your um, podcasts, which I think is awesome. Um, And I agree with that. It's hard to follow diet research that goes past two to five years. And then when you see those that go out that far, they tend to say that it's an inconclusive. Inconclusive or something went wrong or a lot of people dropped off or. Yeah, everyone (laughs) dropping off. Right. Just like those eight red flags podcast episode that I did as well. Right. Exactly. Um, that's so common. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how, how hypertension and diabetes are related as well. Um, let's talk about the next one. Uh, that is high cholesterol or hyperlipidemia. What mm-hmm. is happening there? Well, usually that means that there's more cholesterol in the blood than has been deemed um, healthful. If that makes sense, I am really curious on the research. I haven't personally looked into that research specifically about what is um, an appropriate, air quotes, uh, level of cholesterol, just because I do feel like since it was set so long ago, there's a high probability that diversity of that, of the subjects are lacking for lack of better words. Interestingly enough, the uh, recommendations that they put out about every five years Mm -hmm. um, recently in the 2015 release actually said that dietary cholesterol has little to no effect on blood cholesterol. So these were what the old ATP3 adult treatment panel recommendations used to be that came out from the National Cholesterol Education Program. And so, yeah, as of 2015, the dietary guidelines had to shift because the ATP4 came out and they were talking about, uh, wait, dietary cholesterol is really not having that effect. In fact, there was even a little controversy about whether or not saturated fat had that much effect as well. But a lot of dietitians, especially older dietitians that like myself that were trained a lot in that world, we still use saturated fat as yet another food that we need to restrict. So we tell people, stay away from things like dairy, cheese, yogurt, and then stay away from high-fat foods like meat, red meat, right? And um, of course, there's smoking and there's other components too. So I, I bring all of this up to say that, okay, you have diabetes, high blood pressure, and cholesterol. And in diabetes, we're telling people restrict carbohydrates and sugar. Mm -hmm. In high blood pressure, we're telling people to restrict sodium and eat more fruit and vegetables to get more fiber. In high cholesterol, we're telling people to avoid saturated fat and get more fruits and vegetables and less, you know, red meat. And so think about it because with diabetes, we have what's called the ABCs. And the ABCs are A1C, which is your blood sugar levels. And then we have the B, which is blood pressure. And then we have the C, which is cholesterol. So imagine someone that's coming to you that they might more than likely have all three of these conditions. Could you imagine a a diet that has low carbohydrate, low sugar, low sodium, low saturated fat? It's like, 
what do you eat? Cardboard? <laughs> Raw vegetables <laughs> right? that aren't starchy. Like that's about it. Um, and exactly. And that's part of the reason why um, so many of these diets promote these foods that are great. Like we sh- like fruits and vegetables are a very important, vital part of what we eat. But then it starts to have a negative connotation associated with it. And then people aren't interested in eating fruits and vegetables. Right. Absolutely. Beautiful. Beautifully said. And of course, we're going to go into more detail in each of these specific disease states in more detail in, in, in future episodes. Stay tuned more to that. But we want to continue on. We want to talk about now gut health and GI issues like I'm going to just use one in particular, and that's IBS. So with IBS, we have people that have what's called irritable bowel syndrome, have problems with pain, pain in their stomach, bloating, gas that is either flatulence or excess burping, and then also diarrhea or constipation. Those are all the five classic symptoms of IBS. But the main one, which is pain, that could be a stitch in your stomach, that uh, pain that just sits in there for a while and is a discomfort along with the bloating, the gassiness, and then the diarrhea or constipation. Those, the pain part is the big, you know, piece that puts it all together. And I'm, I'm, I'm really honing in on the word pain because Reagan, you brought up something a little while ago when you talked about both high cholesterol and hypertension, and that is what, what is associated here with pain that causes problems in the body? What does it do? Creates more what? Stress response. <laughs> You're like, oh shit, he's putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had to dig for it. I'm like, I know what I said earlier about which part, which part, which part. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Stress response. Stress response. Exactly, exactly. And so I think we're starting to hear a theme here, right? Again, think about it. A person that's restricting more food, is it beneficial or is it actually more stressful? And while we might get the benefit of what these elimination uh, food restriction approaches might do initially, they don't really last very, very long. So gut health, what's the approach with gut health? Let's do IBS in particular. What's the approach that we have there? So the one that is most commonly um, done is the FODMAP diet, Mm -hmm. um, which takes out a lot of food. Mm -hmm. And it's focused in on specific types of um, disaccharides in these foods or saccharides, my apologies, saccharides found in these foods. And um, because they are fermentable and so they stay in the colon longer, which is what cause it can cause in some individuals um, bloating, indigestion, diarrhea, or constipation, a combination of all of those. Um, stress also highly affects IBS symptoms as, uh, many clients I've worked with have found out. Um, Mm -hmm. and my least, well, I don't know how to exactly say this. Um, I have found my clients that have IBS mostly have been prescribed FODMAP diets with no other guidance. They're handed a sheet of paper. They try to follow this extremely limiting diet 
they get tired of it. They go back to eating the way they were and then just dealing with the gastrointestinal concerns. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's important to to go back to that point that they're just handed a, a diet, a sheet of paper. It might actually be a couple of pages. And then the person's again, I did something wrong. It's my yeah. fault. Yeah. I ate about- these foods and caused my I caused myself harm. Yes. So then they get scared of the food. Yes. Yes. And there's so many things that can your can affect your gut over time that you may not realize. It could be a move. You move to a new environment and believe it or not, the microbes and environmental air quality, not that it's bad, it's just different, is going to uh, mix with your gut flora and that can change it. Or the stress involved in moving uh, combined with that environmental air or uh, the surface food that um, surfaces, sorry, that people cook on is different. I mean, there's there's so many things that we just don't know, right? That can, I mean, there are different phases in our lives and a lot of our gut can alter relative to those changes in our lives. And that's really important. If you have a needing disorder, if you have a chronic condition, or if you have a disease, all those affect our gut as well. And when we talk about stress, we're talking about stress, not in this acute situation, like you're feeling the tension in your shoulders or your heart is racing, or you're, you know, you're running away from a predator. We're talking about this sort of low, this low, dull roar of stress that's constant over a person's life. And it's just every day, every week, every month, And then over time, it's just building and building and building. Your body after a while just can't really, something's going to give, right? And then the problem is, is that we go to all of these diets and we get, again, we, like you said, Reagan, we put the fault on the individual, right? Mm -hmm. And I think talking about what you were just saying really importantly is this is something you even discussed with Patrick Mm -hmm. about how, um, or at least conversations I'm sure you've had with Patrick Bryant. Mm -hmm. about how um, we're not really taught how to cope with stress um, in a way that's beneficial. Um, And a lot of the times what ends up happening is our stress response is just shoving in a box, (laughs) (laughs) metaphorical box, you know, but I'm really stressed out. And then what ends up happening there and why a lot of our clients say that they emotionally eat, it's it's a defense mechanism Um, because our body is trying to not be overwhelmed. And so it turns to eating so it doesn't have to pay attention to the physical manifestation of the emotions we're experiencing. Or just the opposite, it turns away from eating. We choose not to eat. So we feel this pain so we don't have to feel the other emotion that we don't want to feel. Exactly. Sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes it happens very subconsciously. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because of the next one, which is eating disorders, right? At the base of an eating disorder is restriction, restriction Mm -hmm. and avoidance. Anytime we restrict the problem with overeating, the single most biggest problem of overeating is when we restrict. When we restrict, which is yet again, another form of saying dieting, or yes. pseudo dieting, 
where you may not be following a diet, but you might be avoiding this or avoiding that, or I shouldn't eat this, or I shouldn't eat that. What ends up happening is that that restriction tends to lead usually to an overeating. And it doesn't come like you're, you're going to just eat a platter of food. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about someone that's just going to have their own hot dog eating contest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could happen. That happens. We have clients that, that uh, um, tend to overeat large quantities of food at one time. But eating disorders is, is you know, a, a big problem. Anorexia, nervosa, bulimia, nervosa, um, REDS, which is restrictive eating uh, disorder in sports, which mm -hmm. used to be known as the female tri, uh, what is triad. it? Triad. Yeah, the female athlete triad or the female triad athlete, which is uh, a condition of anorexia and over exercising and uh, a skip period or bone and joint problems. And so what we end up seeing is at the core of these conditions, and there are others, orthorexia, binge eating disorder, so on and so forth. <clears throat> I'm not trying to exclude any eating disorder um, or behavior out, but it, at the core of all of this is, is restricting and avoiding food. Um, we use quite a bit gentle nutrition in that world as well. And I'm going to talk a little bit myself about eating disorders because that's really more my wheelhouse and a lot more of the clients I see. I see a lot of chronic dieting clients as well. But um, gentle nutrition is one of the 10 principles in intuitive eating. And quite honestly, we use gentle nutrition for actually any one of the, the conditions yes. uh, that we just talked about, right? Um, okay. Then there's uh, PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I chose to bring this one in here too, because we do get to see quite a few women that come in our office that are diagnosed with PCOS. And what is that uh, condition, uh, Reagan? And if you can kind of just talk a little bit about it. Yeah. So PCOS, for my understanding, for being diagnosed require kind of like checking off several boxes. Um, most commonly it is unexplained weight gain, um, along with, um, insulin resistance or a slightly elevated A1C, um, and then inconsistent, uh, cycles. So periods either lasting too long or not long enough, maybe sporadic here and there. Um, primarily skipped for multiple times. Um, and then the one that typically will guarantee a diagnosis is when they do an ultrasound of the um, uterus um, and they'll look for um, cysts. So that polycyst, uh, polycystic component is multiple cysts around the uterus, um, either in like a pearl like structure. So like one right after another or like sporadic ones, um, kind of clustered together. And the approach that's primarily taken is again, like a weight loss or a restrictive approach along with, um, some other medications. 
Yeah, and uh, because there is a, a blood sugar condition or a insulin resistance condition that's also checked for, there is a tendency for a lot of people to do something similar to a uh, carbohydrate controlling or carbohydrate restricting uh, approach, which is very similar to diabetes. Yes, and um, that becomes a problem. And why why does that become a problem for a lot of clients? Um, I mean, our bodies run off of carbs. Our brains need carbs. The body needs carbs. It's our primary source of energy. Um, it's the most easily utilized source of energy. And if anything, our bodies are efficient. Mm-hmm. Very nicely said. Absolutely. You can't trick the body. The body knows what it needs to do. And if it has to steal from Peter to pay Paul, it will do that. It's... Yeah. Until Peter doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Or until Peter's broke. <laughs> <laughs> and then Peter's stealing from Mary down the street. Yeah. Oh, I love the biblical context here in all of us. <laughs> um. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just, I mean, it, you can see all the same problems over and over again, where right? we give people diets, they feel like they got to do this a certain way. And the biggest problem that we're seeing with diets, it, it is nothing more than a form of restricting something that you either do or eat. Well, technically speaking, eat, right? And so it, creates a situation where the body has to become the stealing Paul, right? It mm -hmm. has to go, okay, I've got to steal energy from somewhere else because I'm not getting it from food. Now, I've had people challenge me on, well, David, what about, what about gluconeogenesis? <laughs> I love when I get that question because that means they heard it somewhere. And they, they, it might be somebody has some knowledge about science, right? It's it's really interesting. So Reagan, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but tell me what, tell people what gluconeogenesis is, if you don't mind. And then I'll tie it into what I'm talking about with diets. Yeah. So <laughs> gluconeogenesis uh, is when the body uses other sources than glucose to um, create glucose. Right. <laughs> In a, probably the most basic, simple way I can put it, which is like the energy sugar that we get from food, all foods broken down into glucose, also known as sugar, um, and then utilized in the body. So then the body will take anything, including your own muscle tissue and break that down and make it into glucose. Exactly. And, uh, there's a certain point too, where the body regenerates glycogen or the glucose pieces that it broke off from something else and puts them back together to reuse them again as well, which is yet really just another way of saying what we said a little while ago. It's stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. And the thing is, is what, are, what happens to all of the parts that the body didn't need when it was breaking down um, your adipose tissue or fat or uh, adipose is fat. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, or I'm protein. leaving that one in. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to know. Uh, but to create glucose. Because right, right. again, the body wants to run off of glucose. Right. So, something kind of tying back into diabetes and is very 
concerning for someone with type one diabetes is the keto diet. That's super popular right now. I know it's a deep one. We can have a 90 minute conversation about that one, but what happens there is you're putting yourself into a state of ketosis for someone with type one diabetes and even type two diabetes. Why that's dangerous is because the one thing we're trying to prevent is you going into diabetic keto acidosis, <laughs> yeah, like which being... is a life-threatening condition where your body has too many ketones in it and it's throwing off homeostasis and can lead in death. Lead yeah. I mean, death. yeah, it can literally shut your kidneys down instantly. And, and well, it even messes with your heart rate your heart. and your lung function. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, your kidneys are closely regulated through your heart and vice versa. And so kidneys go, your heart's going to go without mm-hmm. a doubt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like ketoacidosis or ketosis is a great thing. And people tout it out like, oh yeah, people should be in ketosis. What are you kidding me? Are you freaking nuts? You're no. So <laughs> much it, like your kidneys are doing double the work that it needs to do that it wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm going to play devil's advocate too. Uh, one can say, well, you know, hypertension damages the kidneys also. So if I go into a keto uh, diet, I can lose the weight and my blood pressure improves. Wouldn't I be helping my kidneys? <laughs> How um, would you answer them if they ask a question like that? Well, I would dive into why do we think weight loss is the ticket to curing hypertension? What do you mean by that? I mean, why are we connecting someone's physical body weight to the rate of their heart or, you know, the pressure that requires for it to get through? It could very possibly actually be more of a deficiency in a nutrient over a long period of time. Or, or I mean, let, let's talk about a couple other things. Maybe they are just not moving enough because they are of heavier weight. Uh, and they don't feel like they want to move more. And so therefore the stress of their day doesn't have an outlet, a physical outlet. Mm -hmm. And when we start telling people you need to exercise to lose weight, (laughs) then you're putting yet the problem on the person. And while yes, it's their weight that they have to lose, it isn't the approach singularly that's going to help their blood pressure. Can we find ways that will get people to move more so they improve their stress and they sleep better so that improves their blood pressure? Yeah. But if we say lose weight and exercise to lose weight, then the problem gets into that extreme mode, right? I got to do the biggest loser time of, of uh, programs, which then becomes another problem. And this is that in that uh, diet centric or that diet culture or environment that we're in, it's either diet restrict, avoid, or it's over exercising. And both always puts the problem on the person. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, it's also a social justice issue too. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, I can't say how much I agree with you on that mm-hmm. because I think socioeconomic status um, and environment that someone lives in or grew up in has more of an effect and access to healthcare, which all mm-hmm. play into what we're talking about 
also social justice concerns and issues that should have already been addressed. Right. Um, That plays more into health outcomes than almost anything else. And just so you know, because I'm talking about you, the listener, uh, Reagan and I see people who are of not heavy body weight or in heavy bodies that have diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, gut health issues, eating disorders, and PCOS. This is not something that is singularly related to a person's weight. We see people that are not in heavier bodies that have all of these conditions as well. So let's finally, let's, you know, get to the final part here, which is let's talk about our approach. Again, as I mentioned a little while ago, we kind of hinted a lot at it um, through going through all of this, but um, we take this weight inclusive anti-diet approach. Tell everybody what that means. What is a session like working with people? Um, a session usually working with me includes a lot of, um, did you know, uh, (laughs) statements. And then I end up getting people's feedback about the knowledge that I, that I shared kind of like earlier when I talked about the body works on averages, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are like surprised and they think about it and they're like, my body doesn't know time. I, my brain only knows time. And then it's like, there's these light bulbs going off all over the place. Um, The weight inclusive approach and the anti-diet approach, the intuitive eating approach that we, I feel like they're all kind of different ways of saying the same thing. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to hone in on what your body is trying to tell you, um, what your body's been trying to tell you, but we've been told we can't trust our bodies. And rebuilding that relationship with the food that we've been taught to fear. Um, and what ends up happening is people do a lot of self-exploration along this path and along and without that exploration, um, they start to hear their body and they start to reconnect with it. And we actually figure out how to fuel their body in the best ways. Um, the education usually goes around what the food groups are, what they do in the body, why it's important to have protein, um, a little bit of protein at, with most items throughout the day, um, and why food works best together. So the synergy of food, food coupling items like that. And what it ends up leading to is giving our clients the knowledge to move forward in life and not needing to come back to us after a year after weight loss didn't work and the meal plans didn't work. The diet led to weight gain. Um, and I get to see people ha- be comfortable with having the box of Oreos in their house all day. And they realize they only ate one or two, not the whole thing. And 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 just to touch on that, there's nothing wrong if they ate the whole thing either. That's another part of our approach. Oh yeah, it's no, I don't eat the whole box of Oreos. I've probably ate a whole box of Oreos in one sitting before too, and sure. I have type one diabetes. And you know what? <laughs> I made it through. I took a lot of insulin. Took a lot of insulin, but like again, there's nothing wrong with eating the whole box. Yeah, right. And that like breaking away from the fear 
I think is one of the most liberating things my clients experience. Right. I know. I talk about Oreo cookies all the time. Can you tell they're like my favorite cookie? <laughs> Are, um, Oreos and the um, Nutter Butters. Oh, those are yours? Nutter butters? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> peanut butter, anything peanut butter. Like, okay. I'm in. Oh, really? oh, so see, that's after my own heart there because I'm crazy about Reese's. Oh, yes. Reese's Number one Halloween candy. Well, mm-hmm. year-round candy. Mm, I love those. I have no problem having a few of those, especially around Halloween, but even if, if it's not Halloween. but Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, they're regularly in my house. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's what's also important here is that we get to a more positive relationship with food. We don't also, we don't often sit down in our couches and have a box of uh, Oreo cookies on a regular basis because quite honestly, at the same time, as much as I love Oreo cookies, if I eat too many, I won't like it. And it's not the guilt or the shame that comes up in my mind as much as, ooh, I ate too much. Yeah. Or even you had a a craving for it and then your craving has been satisfied. And so Mm -hmm. therefore the Oreos no longer taste as good as when you first started eating them. Right. And what we do isn't uh, fraught at the extremes. It's not like we're going to tell people, oh, go and eat a box of whatever or a pint of of that ice cream or as uh, an entire pie of pizza. That's not the approach that we take. What we try to do is neutralize a lot of those foods. What we try to do is get people to pay attention to how much they enjoy and getting back to the whole enjoyment of food, being satisfied with what you're eating. And that's at the core of a lot of what we're doing. And and it takes a little time for people to work around that because what are they if they're not part of a diet? They're not in a diet, right? Yeah. So just to finish off here, what we're going to do is we're going to try to piece off a lot of these conditions and different problems and complications, not just these that we've mentioned, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, gut health, eating disorders, PCOS. We'll talk about other problems and complications as well in our episodes that are coming up. We're going to have guest experts come in and talk about some of this as well and talk a little bit more about our approach and what we do and how we do it with all of the people that we work with. So you can get a better understanding of how what we do is more focused and based on self-compassion and giving that your that that autonomy back to trust your own body which is really important um rao this has been great reagan thanks for being on the show do you have any last thoughts or comments um, I mean, I have a ton. <laughs> Just one, please. <laughs> I know I'm trying. We both know that this is a problem of mine. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. We often get into meetings and we're kind of just, oh, and now I'm about, and this, and I have a question about that. And, oh, Reagan, did you do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is what happens when uh, two people of very similar personalities work together. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> The biggest thing I just want people to know, whether there are clients or not, um, just anyone that consumes this podcast, is, is that you are perfect exactly how you are. And the food that you want, you sh- you deserve. You should have it. That's beautiful. I like that. Radical self-acceptance. 
right out of the Sonia Renee Taylor book. And I think it's beautiful. Um, okay. So we are going to go ahead and sign off here, but I just want to let everybody know that if you're interested in working with us, you are you are welcome to go to our website right now. It's currently tdwellness.com. You can go to the make an appointment button and schedule a 15 minute uh, chat with us to see if this is something that's up your alley. You could also leave us a message on this podcast. You can leave something in our email inbox at info at tdwellness.com. And we would also love if you could possibly leave us a review. If you go to Apple Podcasts and scroll down and leave us a review, sometimes just telling us what you think is really important. And then lastly, I just want to let you know that we're coming up to our 100th episode. And I'd love for people to send me some of their questions. We also have a Facebook group that we get some questions from from there. And we're going to have a really fun time with that 100th episode as well. So more to come on that. But um, if you can go to that review section on Apple podcast, or if you're listening to an Android device on iTunes, scroll down, leave us some stars and then drop us a review. Let us know your thoughts and what you think. All right, folks, until next time, remember, chop the diet mentality, feel your body, and nourish your soul. Take care. Oh, yeah.